0: Hi, this is Terry. My sister Bridget and I are taking a few weeks between seasons to do research, interviews, and fundraising, so we can come back in March with new episodes, perspectives, and information about depression and its management. So today, please listen to a rebroadcast of one of the most important episodes we've produced, Suicide Prevention Part 2 with Dr. Barbara Moser.
1: Healing Conversations About Mental Illness. Hi, Terry. Hello, Bridget. In the first part of a two-part series discussing suicide prevention, last week we discussed warning signs from the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline site. Today, we're going to start by listing the risk factors defined as characteristics that make it more likely that someone will consider, attempt, or die by suicide. They can't cause or predict a suicide attempt, but they're important to be aware of.
0: Mental disorders, particularly mood disorders, depression, schizophrenia, anxiety disorders, and certain personality disorders.
1: Alcohol or other substance use disorders.
0: Hopelessness.
1: Impulsive and or aggressive tendencies. History
0: of trauma or abuse.
1: Any physical illnesses. Previous
0: suicide attempt or attempts. Family history of suicide. Job or financial loss.
1: Exposure to others who have died by suicide in real life or via the media or internet. Loss of a relationship. Easy access to lethal means. A local cluster of suicide. Lack of social support or sense of isolation. The stigma
0: associated with asking for help.
1: Lack of health care, especially mental health and substance abuse treatment. Cultural and religious beliefs, such
0: as the belief that suicide is a noble resolution of a personal dilemma. So that's a long list of really important things to be mindful of, because we talked about suicide being the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And each year, more than 44,000 Americans die by suicide.
1: And more than 500,000 Americans attempt suicide annually. <laughs>
0: So we continue our discussion that we started last week with Dr. Barbara Moser, and this time we're going to get closer. We're not just going to say, ask someone if they're suicidal, which is hardly a just. But what do you do if they say no, and what do you do if they say yes? In the first part of our Suicide Prevention Series, Dr. Moser, the chairman of Prevent Suicide Greater Milwaukee, told us it's important to be direct when assessing the risk of suicide— She also asked us to stress that it's a myth that talking to someone about suicide could put the idea in their mind. She says the fact is, by asking, we actually decrease a person's suicidal intent, and they may be relieved that someone finally understands how miserable they've been.
2: So, in my experience, and in the training I've had in suicide prevention, the best way to ask is just to be very direct and say... Are you thinking of suicide?
0: Dr. Moser says even if they say no, it's important to recognize that the potential is still there and that person needs some professional help. Encourage them to see their medical or mental health provider as soon as possible. Offer to help them make the appointment or even accompany them to it. Accessing care is suicide prevention. But today we want to focus on what you can do to help someone you care about. If you ask that tough question and get the answer
2: we all fear. So if they say, yes, I have had thoughts of suicide, then it really helps to ask some very specific follow-up questions. And what you really wanna get at is, are they, you know, thinking of suicide? They're having thoughts? Or have they taken that a step further? And so, The next thing that I'll ask is, okay, well, thanks for sharing that. Do you think you would act on those thoughts? Do you think you would really um, attempt to take your life? And then I see what kind of an answer I get. And if I get a yes, then I want to know, okay, well, you know, have you thought about how you might take your life? Have you thought of what you might do? Do you have a plan? I mean, have you, have you picked a date when, you know, you're going to, to kill yourself?
0: Like we said last week, this is the time for blunt, direct questions emanating from a deeply caring place. This is a time to find out if the person has a plan and the means.
2: And so, you know, I, I sort of start at making some assessment, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of how likely it is that a person may actually make an attempt on their life. So you've t- shared with me you have these pills and, you know, you you could take them. Um, you know, where are they? Are they accessible to you? Oh, okay, they are in your house. Well, um, you know, I, I hear how badly you're feeling right now. I think... You know, when I hear somebody's thinking of suicide, um, the really that, that becomes the, the main thing that we have to really focus on right now is to keep you well and keep you alive. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of diligence mm-hmm. we need to do with, with, with reducing access to lethal means. We need to get pills out.
0: Statistically speaking, Dr. Moser's hypothetical
2: conversation
0: is more likely to take place with a woman Women attempt suicide much more often than men, but men die by suicide three and a half times more often than women. That's according to the American Society for Suicide Prevention. The reason?
2: More lethal means. We need to get especially firearms out of the home, away from a person. It's not uh, this, is, this is safety. This is keeping someone safe who's suicidal. This mm-hmm. is not in any way commenting on firearm ownership one way or the other. This is merely, you have, there's somebody who's suicidal who has access to a gun, and they're thinking about using it. We need to get mm-hmm. that gun away from them temporarily, mm-hmm. not forever, but for now, until mm-hmm. they're feeling better. Obviously,
0: these are steps you want some help with. Ask them who in their life can help you help them a friend, family, or clergy member, a professional they work with, like their doctor or a therapist. And since, if you're anything like us, you'd feel really ill-prepared in this situation, despite any training you may have had, we're going to make a suggestion. Put the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in your phone. We'll post it, but it's 1-800-273-8255. That's 800 273 8255. There's also a text line, seven four one seven four one. But seriously, put those in your contacts. If you are ever in
2: this situation, you will be really glad you did. Because... You never know. You never know. For every person who dies from suicide, we think there are about 25 attempts. The ripple effects of a suicide on a community are huge. This is why it's All of our responsibility and all of our business to help somebody who is thinking of suicide and to know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, find somebody who does. And that's where the hotline numbers come in.
0: If you can't reach a family member or medical professional and you're just not feeling equipped to go it alone, pull out your phone. The people on the other end of those lines have extensive
2: training and can really help. Don't leave them alone. Don't leave them alone. It's a huge commitment, but you have to be there. That's that's part of being a human being is to be there for, for someone in that situation. And so you can say, hey, I know you feel reluctant to call an emergency line or get help, but I'm feeling like I don't know what to do, and I don't want anything to happen to you. I care about you. So I want to make this call right now. And I'm in a call, and then I'm hoping that you're gonna get on the phone with me and take over on the call, mm-hmm. and we can talk to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline together, and I'll help you through this call.
0: And put it on speaker and be right there with them.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Great idea. And that that really can can make a difference. That's great. Yeah.
0: Because you don't, you know, we none of us wants to go into that conversation, knowing we don't have the answers.
2: We need to be prepared to help people because suicide prevention is really everybody's business. And there's no way that professionals can be there all the time to help persons who are suicidal. So we need a community safety net. We need to have persons in our community, just like people are trained in CPR, be trained to recognize warning signs for suicide and to be able to act on it and to have resources. And so I encourage folks to get that training. You didn't say dial 911 or drive them to a hospital. When to call 911 can be um, a tough question. And my bottom line answer is, if you're worried, you don't know what to do, the person is really sounding like they're going to make an attempt on their life, Really, the best thing to do is to call 911, take them to an emergency room, and to have them evaluated by a professional right away. Now, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, taking somebody to an emergency room, they have to cooperate with you to, to go there. Um, and if you Uh, Call 911 There are various things that can happen I mean You Will have somebody come to the home But that person may deny Being suicidal Mm -hmm. Even though they still are Because they're very afraid There's so much fear When a person is thinking about suicide It's a scary thing And I always would rather have Somebody very furious at me That I called 911 than to have somebody who I care about die because I didn't act. So I think it's very important to act.
0: So none of this is easy. But actually, why would we expect trying to save a life to be easy? Dr. Moser says the suicide crisis is very acute for a few hours or up to a few days, but generally not longer than that. Then it subsides, she says, and the person can go on to recover. But again, we want to end this discussion where we began it last week. If you have lost someone to suicide, know that we know you can do everything you know how to do, and there's still no guarantee.
1: Yeah, there's no single, like, right step. It's just be there and get the help that you need to support the other person and get them the help. Is that the takeaway? I think it's that it's just human
0: to, you know, it's your human responsibility to respond to someone in distress, you know, regardless of the the cause, even if it's that totally scary and taboo thought of suicide.
1: Absolutely. And eight out of 10 people considering suicide give some kind of sign of their intentions. So people who talk about being dead, people who talk about suicide, people who threaten suicide, people who call, even call a crisis center are 30 times more likely than the average person to. Kill themselves. And that raises one of the questions
0: that I've never quite understood when I've been, you know, in discussions about suicidality. You know, somebody says, oh, you know, people who talk about it but don't do it are just, uh, it's a cry for help. And I think, hell yes, it's a cry for help. You know, so is shouting fire. So is shouting help when somebody's mugging you. I mean,
1: why is that a bad thing? If somebody cries for help, help them. Right, right. And another thing that I learned in preparing for this was... Like never swear to secrecy, you know, never say, yes. you know, ask them an honest question and then say, I promise I won't tell anybody because you have to do something with that information if the answer is yes, or you think it's yes. Absolutely. And the other piece obviously is to be, um, like not to act too shocked or too upset or too judgmental. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're not, you don't have to be the counselor for the person, but you have to be compassionate. And that can be in the phrasing
0: of the question I've learned, cause you don't want to say, you're not considering suicide, are you? You wouldn't kill Mm. yourself, would you? You know, you you don't put the no into the question. You say, are you considering suicide? Are you suicidal? Are you thinking about planning to kill yourself?
1: Um, And that that is different because one way is there's a bit of shaming in there. Exactly. There's judgment in there. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, you know, I know personally that you cannot feel that way like one moment, right, and yet in another moment, now you're there. It, you know, it's it's a slippery kind of um, all-encompassing, elusive space. And I think um, you know that if that we need to really trust our instincts if we think a person's in trouble, and even if the answer is no, stay close and touch base and look them in the eye and keep that conversation alive. And them, uh, hopefully.
0: So we have two more episodes this month. It will also be a two part and it's going to be based on a documentary, Not Alone, and it will be addressing teenage depression and suicide, which is a growing and huge and concerning problem as well. So please tune back as we continue these discussions for the rest of September. So thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Dr. Moser. And thank you, everybody who's listening and um, trying to learn.
1: We hope that our podcasts bring about a little more understanding or help people articulate their experience of depression a little more. And thanks to each and every person who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. And you can find our podcasts on our website,
0: givingvoicetodepression.com, as well as on iTunes, where we hope you will subscribe, rate, and
1: respectfully comment. And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.